Welcome everybody, welcome to part two of the Legendarium's Silmarillion read-along. Today we are covering three chapters, uh, chapters three, four, and five. As a reminder, we have a total of 11 sections uh, scheduled for this Silmarillion read-along. We'll cover an average of about 25 pages each, give or take. Today was less. Uh, the purpose of this read-along, as a reminder, is not to turn us all into Tolkien scholars, but simply to have some fun with a notoriously difficult book and to hopefully glean some of its lessons. If you're not subscribed to the show, please do so at thelegendarium.com and be sure to subscribe, like and subscribe on YouTube as well. All right, so I am your host, Craig Hanks, and with me over there, well, he's more boring than three pages of pure genealogy. It's Ryan Bruckman. And that is definitely what I felt going through this, so... <laughs> <laughs> and he's a lot like Tolkis. He laughs every time I try to wrestle him. It's Kyle Lemon. Which is quite often, unfortunately. I know. Yeah, usually in the nude. I, I like Greek style. You so. know. I just wish you wouldn't call it the giggle pit, and it's really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Uh, well, we have some funny names for things to go over, and we're, we're going to be talking about those today. Um, anyway, so uh, let's... I, I, I think that ticks care of all the... Uh, housekeeping stuff so i think we can dive right in i've got a recap for you guys i hope you're excited yes you should be is it a giggle kit giggle pit style recap it, it is not it is okay. there, there are no my, no my shirt back on there will be very few giggles <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right you know the constellation as ursa major or the big dipper but it's not a cup or a plow or a wagon or even a bear no it's way more badass than all that the elves, you see, are about to awaken, so Varda, goddess of the stars, hung a sickle above Melkor's realm as a warning to him not to muck about with things. Well, sadly, badass though it was, it did not work. The elves awake under the stars, there's no sun or moon yet at this point in the world, and they spend long ages by Lake Quivienen, far in the east. Before the Valar can find them, Melkor does. He kidnaps many of the elves and takes them to his dungeons to be tortured, twisted, and mutilated into orcs. Yikes. Uh, but then, Orome finds them and calls them to Valinor, the blessed realm of the gods. Many choose to come with him, and others are too afraid to go. So now there are two, two types, types of, of elves, elves, and then two becomes four, and so on, and so on. <laughs> and now there are so many groups of elves that we need a family tree in the back of the book just to keep track of them all. Which, by the way, you should do, because I'm not going to do it for you here. Now, some of them make it to the Blessed Realm. Others stay behind, and one of the elves marries a demigoddess. And now we're all set up for the story of the Silmarils to really get started in the next section. All right, so that's roughly what we read. It was a lot of... A lot of... Uh, begats. Yeah, a lot of begats. For any, any Old Testament fans out there, this should feel pretty familiar in that way, right? Mm-hmm. So let's start, you guys, with a, uh, a listener comment. This one comes from Lady Sweden, who says, I finished my Silmarillion reading for this week, and while I can appreciate this section, it's less captivating than the last one. <laughs> well, <laughs> agreed. Yes. So, yeah, I wanted to kick it over to you guys and say, all right, what would you think of it? Uh, I mean, uh, admittedly, all of the whole Silmarillion is a little bit of author's notes on the world, but this one especially had that feel because it is, it is three chapters of well ish three chapters ish of setup to establish the lineage of specific things happening right and i was like not knowing what that payoff is not knowing okay so which of these elves are going to become this one other than finally getting to the one where it's like and the sister galadriel ah there's one 
I know that one. I know her. <laughs> that one. I got she that. voiceovers a few things, right? <laughs> ah, it's about time Kate Blanchett came into the Silmarillion. Ah, Let's thanks, go. Kate. <laughs> Unfortunately, she does not narrate the uh, the new trailer for the Lord of the Rings uh-huh. show. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure that the new girl is going to be just fine. But I missed Kate Blanchett. That's for sure. Okay. Um, so okay, but we're not here to talk about the show, at least not yet. So um, anyway, yeah, go go on. So little little more w- would you call it boring or would you just call it less exciting or interesting or whatever I, it's okay to call it boring you're not going to offend me nobody's going to offend me here yeah. <laughs> and they're still scared to do it <laughs> no well here's the thing i don't want to be thrown into the giggle pit okay <laughs> <laughs> it is not i i would not say as a whole that 100 percent of this is boring it's not um there's the the really short second chapter um, Thingle and Melian. Thingle and Melian. That that was really enjoyable short story piece. But a lot of the initial just breaking up that the elves were now going to be following their own try their own little groups and everything here. That was boring. Yeah, that was straight up boring. Uh, but maybe the only reason it was boring is because I didn't have any point of reference from which to go from other than to say this is where they came from. Mm-hmm. And now they're all going to do this. And I can't tell some of them like some of them leave entirely. Some of them left Middle Earth entirely and went to the West or something. And others, I, <laughs> that's this is this is this is where I would kind of get yeah, stuck. Yeah. And I think this chapter is where most people feel like the entire Silmarillion is this. And it's that's not true. Right. Right. It feels like the Tolkien version of like what we've called in the past Captain Exposition, where you get a character or, or the narrator that comes in and just has to just lay on you just an information dump. And that's exactly what this is, is just here's tons of information that you're mm-hmm. going to need to to know what the hell's going to happen later or why it happened or who's what, you know, what the motivations are. But the information itself feels like something that would be more interesting on like a third or fourth time through when you're a lot more familiar with what you're doing rather than a, you know, the, the straight through narrative of like, okay, this is, it's what we talked about last time. There's, there's sometimes plot, but there's not exactly plot that moves you through the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is just like, here's a giant chunk of info. Well, <laughs> yeah. and in the, one of the things is that I feel like the, the weight of, we spend a ton of time with the separating of the elves, but there is this really cool sequence or this really cool sub story in here about, oh, by the way, uh, one of the, Valar, I believe, they like they chain Melkor. They finally like they kind of take him and they capture him. Mm-hmm. They te- they give him a named chain, which I don't remember what the name Amazing. is. Amazing, yeah, yeah. There's a named chain that holds him, and they bind him away for this time so that he can no longer affect things. Which I know, looking at chapter titles, we're going to be dealing with in the next chapter, <laughs> right? That coming off, but it was like, oh, cool. We've the bad guy got taken care of. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I guess we're done. Guess we need it. him out of the way so that we can have the elves <laughs> grow over here a little bit. So, all right. So let's let's dig into this. Um, I, I'm not going to offer a defense of this section, so to speak, um, other than to say this is the type of thing, just like I think Kyle was just saying, that is much more interesting on a read through. Mm-hmm. Once you have context... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I, so now I have context for what it means when he says that the Teleri 
stayed behind and were sundered into three different groups, you know, just by themselves. Like I have context for that. So you can go to the back of the book and I mentioned the family tree. There's a family tree for the, the house, uh, the, the houses of the elves. Um, and then there's also something very much like a family tree for, uh, for the, all these elven groups. Uh, so one of them has like names of individual people. And then there's one that, that keeps track of, all right, so they all descended from this people. And all right, now you have the Vanyar, you have the Noldor and you have the Teleri. And then there are these subgroups within those. And then some of those have subgroups and, and like, that's all helpful, but it's not helpful on your first time through Mm -hmm. that little family tree informative though it may be you're not going to care about it right right but it is there and so this is why i say uh, you know when i read it the first time i you know i got done the end page one yeah started over and it was and it blew my mind the second time i mean Mm -hmm. the first time i loved it don't get me wrong it was amazing the first time i read it because because i kind of powered through chapters Mm -hmm. like these um, but the second time I read it, it was like, oh, okay, finally connections and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, if some, if anybody listening is reading for the first time, don't despair. <laughs> there are, I want to say there are two chapters like this one. So chapter five is a lot of just straight names, just a pouring out of names on top of you. Uh, and then there's one more that's uh, geography where Tolkien wrote out in prose form, the geography that we're dealing with and essentially i mean there there is info that you're being given it's not entirely just that but that sure is what it feels like especially the first time it's like and this land was next to this one which is where this event took place and you're like i have no idea what event you're talking about and then he decided maybe i'll just draw a map but but, yeah exactly (laughs) so um i just want a rob paulson musical version with Yako going through all of the lands of Middle Earth. It'll be a lot easier for me to remember at that point. <laughs> so, and one of the things, uh, again, on a reread that becomes more apparent is how many connections are in this section to the other books that people have read. So, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of connections. I just took, uh, I, I just took down four of them, but I, I'm, I know there's more. But uh, just some of the more obvious ones. So we get the el- the origin of the elves of Mirkwood and Lothlorien. Um, and so, and for anybody, again, we're not trying to turn anybody into scholars. So I'm not even going to bother with, all right, these people are named this and they, you know, it doesn't matter. The, um, of the group that kind of lagged behind, there were three groups and the third one kind of lagged behind while the other two groups of elves made it to the blessed realm. And of that third group that lagged behind a little bit, some of them split off uh around the misty mountains so now we have okay we've seen the misty mountains that's all over the hobbit and lord of the rings the river anduin is the river that they're canoeing down in mm-hmm. the fellowship of the ring um and so those groups populated those forests and so now we have have the elves of greenwood at the time i suppose and uh and what would become lothlorien later so those elves are there eventually uh People like Thranduil, uh, people like Galadriel, they would come and be their lords for whatever reason, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you can bear a lord. Sure, yeah, whatever. Uh, but, the, but the general populace of those forests was like, so you get little connections like that. Oh, okay. So that's where they actually came from. They've been there a long ass time. Mm-hmm. So long. 
I, thousands of years doesn't begin to cover the amount of time those elves have lived in those woods. Ages. Right? ages. Yeah. So there's that one. We get the origin story of Cirden the shipwright. Uh, he crafted the boats that were taking the elves across the sea at the end of uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that takes Frodo across the sea. It's had a thing for swans. Uh, right. Well, they they all have a thing for swans. That's a that's a different moment. But yes, they oh, okay. all they all have a thing for swans. Elves and swans. I just remember that's a thing now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, we get the origin story of the White Tree of Gondor. So if you've watched the movies, you're familiar with this. Um, there, I think when Pippin looks in the Palantir, he sees a vision of the Tree of Gondor burning. Um, in the book, like, the the tree is dead or dying and Aragorn has to go find a seedling of the tree and replant it and all that stuff. That tree. Okay. All right. Are you guys ready for this? I hope you're excited. That tree is descended from Nimloth, which is a tree, a white tree in Numenor, which we'll get to Aragorn's ancestors on the Island of Numenor. Very, the tall people, the tall people. That's correct. Yes. Good, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, I'm just glad that you're here with me. Just this, <laughs> I'm the same. Yeah, the, the tall people. So yeah. that, so everything is descended. Everything has a lineage, right? So that tree was descended from Nimloth, which is a tree in Numenor, which was descended from Celeborn, also the name of Galadriel's husband, but was the name of the tree in Tol Eresea that uh, eventually beget, begat the tree in Numenor, which was itself an image of Telperion, the silver magic light tree it of gives the them elves. Their half their day and night exactly. separation. Right. Got it. So it, anyway. It's the great, great grand tree of that tree. <laughs> Something like that. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. And then I mean now I'm just thinking grandmother Willow from Pocahontas. Uh, like, anyways. Okay. <laughs> uh so and, and you guys already mentioned we we met Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Um and I actually I really like her description. It was like uh something like the sun was the light of the sun was caught in her hair. Yeah. Um it was, a, it was a nice nice description for her. I don't have it pulled up at the moment. Uh yeah, her hair was lit with gold as though it had caught in a mesh the radiance of Laurelin, the golden tree. So, yeah, that was nice. Which All is right. why Gimli asks for three strands, or one strand, for right. her hair, whatever. She gave me three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that moment. So, alright, anyway, point being, yeah, once once you unlock this story, you get to make connections like that, mm-hmm. um, and it does make it far more so, interesting than it yeah, is the so first I wanna, time through. I want to rewind for just a second, yeah. zoom zoom out for just a second, because this is the first appearance of the children of Luvatar, right? The elves are Correct. the first appearance of the children of Luvatar. Debatably, we could talk about the dwarves in that previous chapter, but, okay. but yes. This is the prophesied coming of them, mm-hmm. or, you know, and I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. So the Valar didn't actually know that the elves showed up for a while. Is that right? Right. So, so they were on the so hunt. You had Orome, Orome, Orome yep. and he's the one looking for them, right. supposedly. But they hadn't found them yet. But Melkor finds them first and starts to twist them into orcs. Right. So yeah. So the the uh, the Valar say uh, they're they're in council together, and one of them says, um, "We only got a glimpse during the music uh, that we were all singing back in the Ainulindale." Uh, and, and so we don't know when or where the elves are going to show up, but this is this is it. We're really close. Sometime mm-hmm. in this age, it's going to happen. And so, yeah, they go out on the hunt. 
but the elves awoke uh, near, at least according to legend, mm-hmm. <laughs> according to the legend within the legend, they awoke near Lake Quivianen, which is in Middle Earth, in the eastern, uh, far east of Middle Earth, and uh, th- so they're much closer to Melkor. And then did and I? So he's able to find them. So it's not like he's kidnapping everybody in sure. droves, but yeah, he does capture but, a bunch. So did I get? Do I understand correctly? He, yeah, you got he it. created the mountains of mist to yeah. kind of hide them or keep mm-hmm. the Valar from finding them. Yeah. Is exactly. that right? And mm-hmm. now we've got like an evil breeder climbing in your forests and snatching your people up, <laughs> trying to orc them. <laughs> so hide your Iluvatar, hide your kids, oh, hide your aunt wives. <laughs> They're orking everybody out here. I don't know. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. Hey, for anybody who's not familiar with decade-old memes, sorry, <laughs> that was that was beautiful, Kyle. That was, I've never never heard anything quite like that before. I'm just trying to be on Tolkien's <laughs> level. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, all right. So, uh, Ryan, any other thoughts on this particular section, or or any anything else you want to bring up before we move on to other stuff? I mean, nothing helpful. My mind is currently imagining the elves, <laughs> like the you remember the little capsules you could drop in water, and then they would turn into like dinosaurs out of sponges oh, yeah, and things sure, like that. Yeah. Like that's currently what I feel like the elves were, is they just dropped it, <laughs> dropped the tablets in, and waited for them to pop out and crawl out, and those. Anyway, yeah, like you know, said, not there, helpful, but it, good content. So. There is there is a listener question about that. Let me see if I can find Wait, this one. Wait, there's a listener question about what I just said? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, there is. <laughs> From who else but Huron fan, uh, uh, who asks, he says, when the elves awaken, were they like statues that came to life? Did they just appear? Were they placed there or just appeared? <laughs> How many awakened in the beginning? Did all come at once or in waves? <laughs> so... Okay, and I, I think I think this this section especially is just ripe for uh, for for questions like that. Like, let's get into the mechanics of Middle Earth, and mm-hmm. it's like, and Tolkien's like, no, he left it why? very very vague. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah. my, my head canon is going to be because we talked about music and water being the source of creation. Mm-hmm. They came in waves, Heron fan. They came in waves. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. There you go. There you go. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think uh, I I kind of <laughs> talked about this last time that I, I don't know if this was intentional. I Maybe there's a source somewhere that could tell me, but, um, but I feel like Tolkien, either intentionally or not, left room for um, uh, essentially for Darwinian evolution. And so why not? Sorry. What, what, Just, what, what? The visuals of that is like... The, just imagine like a based on evolution that the flopping that first one like two-legged <laughs> fish that comes out like the galadriel fish just plop. I, I will this fish has pointy fins <laughs> <laughs> i will admit it doesn't work quite as well with the elves because it's like and then they're suddenly immortal or you know because it kind of defies the laws of it i like to think it's probably just, just hot it won't die they We're probably good. just appeared in the same way that the valar just appeared could be there yeah go. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think in for some people, uh, for some religiously minded people, they really want that uh, that marriage of mm-hmm. science and faith. Uh, and for others, they don't need it. And mm-hmm. and Tolkien may just have been like, you know what, poof, ex nihilo, we got elves. I mean, but you he does, yeah, but elves. he does talk about, at least the, the mechanics when we're talking about that. He does sort of get into how elves became orcs. 
what through torture and cruelty or whatever but yeah. he still leaves that vague around like exactly what that process is or how an elf gets turned into an orc but mm-hmm. it kind of, i actually kind of like that omission because just the idea of torture and cruelty it's left up to the reader to be like oh that that, that must have taken yeah. some doing and that probably sucked oh i love the it, there's actually one of the final lines in a paragraph over about that section there um says and deep in their dark hearts the orcs loathe the master whom they served in fear the maker only of their misery this may this it may be was the vilest deed of melkor and the most hateful to iluvatar i the the corrupting of of his children into something so terrible and making them miserable uh being the worst thing he does because we know that there's he's the dark he's the worst and everything but destroying his children or corrupting his children is the worst thing that he does is a very very poignant and strong statement i guess yeah should have you sitting up taking notice and yeah. i think even to the point doesn't it mention or maybe i'm reading into different notes but doesn't it mention that or the orcs themselves hate melkor yes. yeah yeah that's what yeah yeah that's yeah, the yeah, passage okay. ryan was just reading okay so even the creation they serve him hates, out of fear but they hate him yeah, because okay. of what he's done to right them. Right. Okay, so let's talk about this. The The orcs is actually a really sticky issue because Tolkien, up to the day he died, never settled on an origin story for the orcs. Uh, when, uh, when the Silmarillion was being pieced together by his son, Christopher, um, this was what he settled on. Uh, but there were a few different possible origin stories. But the problem was that uh, because, because this mythology was so tied up in Tolkien's faith um he was really uncomfortable with the idea that um of of the orcs being created mm-hmm. and so the way he kind of by by Melkor like Melkor right. shouldn't be able to create anything right. only Iluvatar he has the secret fire things. right mm-hmm. um and so yeah he settled on that um and I think or I, I should say, Christopher settled on that. Tolkien, uh, uh, Professor Tolkien himself had a, a couple of different options, but Christopher went with that one. And I think possibly the reason for that one is because in the Lord of the Rings, there's a reference that Treebeard makes to trolls and how trolls are, they were made by the enemy in mockery of the Ents mm-hmm. and their strength, um, their, their size and power. Um, and so it would make some sense then in the Silmarillion for the orcs to have a similar origin story, right? So that's that's my best guess. Um, if I ever read anything about it, uh, specifically in the history of Middle-earth, then I've forgotten the answer now, but there you go. I have a, a question, and I really do want to maintain this in a not 12-year-old boy discussion oh, here. Boy. Yeah, I think I know where you're going. Go for it. Um one of the lines in here, things that as he creates the orcs, he does uh, that. One of the things about them is that they are able to. Let me see if I can find the quote here. Uh, For the orcs had life and multiplied after the manner of the children of Iluvatar, and not that had life of its own nor semblance of life could ever Melkor make since his rebellion. So he couldn't make something new. This had to do with, if we don't have an origin story like in Peter Jackson's, the Urukai kind of pop out of these bubbles <laughs> out of the ground. Yeah. But so we don't have anything like they just multiply the same way that elves do, however that is. Yes, sexually. Yes. Okay. Tol- Tolkien did confirm at one point the existence of female orcs. So, okay. Yeah, that is a thing. Okay. 
So, yeah, no, I mean, it's a perfectly good question. I, I don't think that's a 12-year-old question at all. It's like... It could very easily, right? Knowing me, I could very easily have taken it. I wouldn't put it past that. you. Uh, yes. No, it's... So, yeah, the, like I said, the orcs are a sticky issue. Be, yeah, because he didn't want... He didn't want to give the enemy the power of creation. Mm -hmm. But then where did the orcs come from? And it, so we have some example with the dwarves of... Um, uh, you know, of Aule creating the dwarves, and then Uluvatar is like, hey, nice try. I'll go ahead and breathe life into him. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, uh, you didn't make life, but uh, you made vessels for life or something like that. And so you, now you get into this sticky area of like, so Iluvatar let him bastardize his children into this hateful race of evil orcs. You know, like it just, it creates this mess. And it's one of those things where, uh, as you're reading the Silmarillion, if you just want to take that story at face value, totally fine. It's once you start digging into it, once you get into the logic and the theology behind this stuff, that you start to go, oh, no. Oh, well, hang on. This is a real mess, isn't it? And Tolkien agreed, and that's why he never quite settled on anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I don't think it necessarily has to be that complicated because I think the idea that, Melkor could twist something that's already been created into something nastier that becomes a new creation of its own. He's not breathing life into anything necessarily, but you know, you take two colors and mix them together and you, you create a different color. And so I don't think that the idea is that that off of right. you could warp or shift or evolve something in a positive way or in a negative way. So there you go. Yeah. I, I'm I'm satisfied with what we have here generally, sure. but uh, yeah. Anyway, it is it is a topic of some considerable discussion among uh, among the Tolkien obsessed. So, uh, all right, let's move on to some other notes, shall we? Um, okay, here's here's a good one. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, we don't have to remember a ton of names. We talked about this last time. Yes, we're assaulted with a bunch of names. But, uh, like I told you guys last time, don't worry about it. The important ones will come to the fore, uh, and you'll, you'll learn the important ones as we go. Okay, so don't stress about learning the names. That being said, there are three paragraphs in this section that I would say, if you're reading this for the first time, and, you, and you're actively trying to keep up with the story and know who the characters are, there are three paragraphs in chapter 5 uh, so it's uh, the, the chapter of Eldamar. And if you go to the paragraph starting with the seven sons of Feanor were, and then three paragraphs follow. You get the seven sons of Feanor, you get the sons of Fingolfin, um, and then the sons and daughters of Finarfin. And so already we've got three names there, right? So in three paragraphs, we get, I counted them, 18 characters, several of which have more than one name. Um, you know, and, and several of which are named more than once, and it's sometimes confusingly so. Uh, but anyway, those three paragraphs, highlight them. Literally, get a highlighter, highlight those three paragraphs, dog-ear the page. Well, I don't know. Okay, respect your books as you will. Maybe dog-ear the page. Maybe just put a little sticky note in there or something so you can flip back to the page. Dog-eared. Kyle is, Kyle's killing me here. We've got it. Yeah, nice. Um, so anyway, point being, that... Those three paragraphs 
can act the same way as like a map. When people talk about the reading story and they flip back and forth between the maps, there's the family tree in the back as well that kind of runs you through the organization of these three families. Uh, but these three paragraphs give you who those characters are and just a, a little snippet about them, right? This one got his father's gift for crafting. Uh, this one, you know, is like, um, what's it? Aradel the White, um, the, the one of the elven women, Kurufin the Crafty, Caranthir the Dark, Kelgorm the Fair. So you you kind of, you get just a little extra name or a character trait or something about them that can help you remember who those characters are. Because these three paragraphs contain many of the characters that will take us through the bulk of this story. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out. Maybe a helpful tidbit for those who are reading for the first time. Anyway. All right, guys. I've been talking for a while. Do you have anything you want to say or do you want a word of the day? Uh, word of the day, I guess, yeah, apparently. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a little overwhelmed with all of what we just did. So <laughs> I do remember reading some of our prior ones, the things like Fingolfin and Fainor. So when I read them this time, I was like, oh, here they are. I remember these people do something. Right. This would be one to stick with. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of these names, you're... Uh, so people are probably shouting at their radio right now, like, oh man, Fingolfin, he's their amazing. Radio? You know what I mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, as we're taping this episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so they're, they're yelling at their speakers of whatever sort of variety. Uh, you know, Fingolfin, you got to remember, oh, he has the coolest, he's the most badass fight scene ever. Oh. So, you know, yeah. like, yes, they will come up and and uh, you will you will cheer for some of these people and you will hate a lot of these people too so um anyway yeah word of the day word of the day is fain um let me see if i can uh, actually pull up the paragraph where that came up f a i n okay so there's a few different fanes out there uh let's see the most kin- notably pot on pot on fain pot on fain there you go heard some whistling the kinsfolk and friends of Elue Singolo also remained in the hitherlands, seeking him yet, though they would have, though they would fain have departed to Valinor and the light of the trees, etc., etc. So they would fain have what? Okay, so I looked it up. Fain simply means pleased or willing under the circumstances, or in this case, because it's an adverb, uh, with pleasure or gladly. So there you go. If you want a new, like, I wish I had word of the day, word of the day toilet paper to like distribute to people with like <laughs> Tolkien words that he uses, like Fain. So yes, gladly they would gladly have gone if whatever, blah blah blah. I had, I feel like the, the, we had this conversation. I don't remember if it was in the last episode or one, but I did have a word question. So I'm just going to throw it out there and let you run with it. Okay. Um, in chapter five, we're talking about Elway awakes. And the sentence stopped me, and I don't know if it's because it was beautiful prose or whatever, but um, he goes through, let's see. His people gathered about him in joy, and they were amazed. For fair and noble as he had been, now he appeared as it were a lord of the Maiar. His hair as gray silver, tallest of all the children of Iluvatar, and a high doom was before him. Mm. That last sentence, and I went, a high doom. I don't know how to process that statement exactly. I know we've talked about the word doom before. Usually it's just kind of like it's a, if I pulled up the definition, everything, this curse or a, a fated end or something like that. And mm-hmm. I didn't really know how to translate that final sentence. Like, yeah, I, I would take that word and literally just make it synonymous with fate. Okay. That's it. So fate 
Uh, this actually goes back to one of the videos, uh, like and subscribe, a video on the channel where I talked about um, prose style of several different fantasy authors. And one of the things I looked at, the major thing I looked at was Germanic versus Latinate words. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tolkien, being who he was, heavily favored Germanic words. He liked the original Old English whenever it made sense. Um, and so Doom and Fate, uh, yeah, there are probably some some little differences between them but you can treat them synonymously and he was just using the old english word rather than its latinate counterpart fate so how would it what would something classify something as a high fate or a high doom then like i don't know what happens to elway oh okay so i'm assuming that based on this i feel like there's going to be a chapter later on where something really terrible that's cataclysmic happens to him I think that's a perfectly reasonable interpretation. Yeah, it goes. I, I had my mind thinking when is it in Harry Potter when he talks about uh, great wizards and oh yeah, terrible, terrible but, but great. great. And something high doom could just be like there's a great fate or a great mm-hmm. destiny for this person, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good. It means something is. It will have a large of of large consequence. There you go. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I okay. like it. Consequential fate. High doom. Big area of effect. There you go. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. All right. Uh, So I've got another note for you guys. Uh, There's a a paragraph that I want to read in chapter three. So this is the the coming of the elves. Um, The elves are not there yet. Um, And let me pull up this paragraph. Then again, the Valar were gathered in council and they were divided in debate. For some, and of those Ulmo was the chief, held that the Quendi, the elves should be left free to walk as they would in Middle-earth, and with their gifts of skill to order all the lands and heal their hurts. But for the but the most part, feared for the Quendi in the dangerous world amid the deceits of the starlit dusk, and they were filled moreover with the love of the beauty of the elves and desired their fellowship. At the last, therefore, the Valar summoned the Quendi to Valinor, there to be gathered at the knees of the powers in the light of the trees forever. Uh, and Mandos broke his silence, saying, so it is doomed. There you go, Ryan. Uh, from, uh, so it is doomed. From this summons came many woes that afterwards befell. So um, anyway, so then we go on. The, the elves awaken, and we have the first sundering of the elves. Um, and as we read that section, it's tempting, and I'm not sure it's altogether wrong. It's tempting to think that Tolkien is saying that, uh, well, the, the good, the noble elves came to Valinor. They heeded the summons and they, they left. They went across the sea. They went to the Blessed Realm. And the ones that stay behind, eh, they're, they're whatever. We don't, yeah, they're, they're out of history. We don't care about them. They're lesser elves, right? Orthodox and Protestants. <laughs> sure. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so... Anyway, I, I've always read it that way, and I'd never quite caught this section where Ulmo was saying, freedom, baby, yeah. It was Austin Powers, right? <laughs> Ulmo is like, no, they, sh- they should be free to live life as they figure it out. We shouldn't be ordering their lives for them. They're, they're creatures of free will, right? Well, kind of, right? We talked about that in the last episode. But anyway... Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting because now we have Tolkien 
giving a little counter argument and saying it might not have been for the best that all this went down. It's, I don't know, he, he kind of leaves it um, not, not so cut and dried. It's like, okay, these elves are good and those elves are bad. Or not, not bad, but lesser. Mm-hmm. It's just a, I don't know. Uh, I, this is probably more interesting to rereaders, but um, I found it interesting on this, this read through. So I found it interesting that there was just, there were multiple groups of elves and there were some, like, just from, from what I'm familiar with, which is simply the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings story, and the elves that I'm familiar with, that there were multiple groups of elves that we don't even come across or yep. know about because they've already sailed on or they're already somewhere else. And so it was interesting to know the scope of it. Um, but to your point around like, okay, what does this mean for the broader story that I'm trying to uh, wrap my mind around right, right now? It's this particular group. And so the there you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but there's the three... There's three groups of them or four groups of them initially. There, well, there's like the three like elder, mm-hmm. like there's Ingway, there's Finway, and there's Elway. And Elway is the group of elves that sticks around. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> Let's clarify no this way. a little bit. No, this, no way. <laughs> <laughs> that was the fourth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, that's not a bad way to think about it. I've never thought about it that way before, but I don't hate it. <laughs> uh, was, yeah, no um, way are the orcs the orcs that used to be elves so when, when Orome shows up so there first of all you have to keep in mind they've probably been awake for hundreds or thousands of years already at lake quivian and um we, we have no way of knowing you know, maybe it was three days probably not but it, it's been a long time um and in that time they've got their little enclave they've got their it's not a stronghold as far as i know they're but they're they're kind of clustered together at lake quivian and and melkor and his other you know Maiar and the the uh whatever beasts he's not created i guess but whatever twisted yeah melkor and his ilk have been harassing these elves for a long long time and so they're terrified and they also live in a world of starlight at best right there's no moon there's no mm-hmm. sun there, so it's pretty dark. You can imagine it would be a little bit lighter and brighter around the water. Man, it's reflecting some of that starlight. Okay, so now we got some light. The woods, effing terrifying, right? So this is what they're conditioned by. And then Orome shows up and he's like, hey, by the way, I'm a god. Come with me. You can live in our land with light and, and you know, hope and plenty and laughter and all that stuff. And some of them are like, sweet, let's do it. Okay, so we've got that group. And then there's the no way elves. <laughs> you can think of it that way. They're like, no way. I'm, that's just not happening. Uh, I'm not going with you anywhere. You want me to go through those woods? Forget about it. And so they, they don't. They uh, stay behind or they, they go to other places, whatever. They won't go with Orome. Okay, so now we've got two. We, that's our first sundering. But of the group that went, that's where you get the three houses okay. that you named. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> so, so then we get subdivisions within that. And it would help you actually right now, if you went to the back of your book and looked at that family tree, uh, then you'll see that um, then we get divisions like with the Teleri, they're the third group, the, the ones that lagged behind the most. Um, and they, uh, as they're going, they keep having groups of them split off 
um, and stay further behind. So did you find it? Am I looking for a literal tree? Uh, a family. <laughs> look for a family tree. Yeah. Index of names. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. There, there you it go. Is. <laughs> so anyway. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's holding it up for you. I was looking forward to my digital copy. I was like, I can't find it. That it should be in there point. somewhere. Maybe not. Be. We be. can share. So <laughs> anyway, point being, yeah, there you can see oh, like there it is. those those three houses are all of the elves that went with Orome to okay. the Blessed Realm. So you can see that there's a division between light and dark elves. Uh, and there's even gray elves, and that has nothing to do with skin tone. It just has to do with which elves agreed to go to the light of Valinor, mm-hmm. and which ones stayed behind in the darkness of Middle Earth at that time. Okay. I also want to point out for listeners who are as overwhelmed as I am with all the names, this is only some of the names. That is according accurate. to the notes. That is true. So. Count yourself blessed <laughs> that Tolkien didn't include all of the names. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole thing. Uh, no, but it's, it's the kind of thing, it, this is much like the, much like the character names. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing where it's like, you know what, just, just let the story carry you along yeah. for a while. Um, and then if, if you are interested enough in the general broad strokes of what's going on in Middle Earth at this time, then go back and do a reread and it will... Right unfurl for you it, okay. it will make so much more sense on a reread guarantee do we have sorry just because i'm now stuck inside this tree um <laughs> let down your hair oh wait do we have any are there any notable gray elves that like an average person would know about yes okay cured on the shipwright it would be one Okay. Uh, so we mentioned him already. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we they'll they'll come more into focus as we go. But um, like nothing, we're not looking at anybody down the road. Like the the elves of Rivendell aren't gray elves or anything like that. Or uh, there is a like a gray elf troop that goes through or something. I, I vaguely, for some reason, remember the words gray elves. Yeah, yeah. It's because um, and yes, I'm going to spoil things this is not a spoilable story please don't it, it, i but i guess if you care skip ahead a minute um but s- there were th- those three houses one of them was the noldor they were mm-hmm. the ones that were the craftsmen they studied under outlay right and so those three groups they all eventually make it to valinor um uh, eldamar i guess we're calling it at this point so they make it to the blessed realm uh eventually the noldor much of the the noldor are going to leave and they're going to go back to Middle-earth. They're going to renounce um, the Blessed Realm because they're on a quest for vengeance. Uh, and we'll get there in a moment. The bulk of the Silmarillion proper will tell us about three major groups. The Noldor, some of the humans who make it into their region, and the Grey Elves. They're the ones who like who went, they agreed to go with Orome, and they got most of the way and then didn't cross the sea to go to Valinor. So they they kind of stayed behind. They they still agreed to go to the light, but they just didn't quite make it all the way. Okay. Um, so those gray elves are going to kind of be intermingled in the story with these Noldor characters um, as we go. So yeah, you'll see the term a lot. There will be some significant gray elves. And I think that's all we need to know, to know right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oof. I, you know, I'm, you know what I'm excited for? Whenever I edit these episodes, I, I kind of, I zoom out 
and I can see how much each person talked as a percentage uh-huh. of the episode. And I'm going to be ashamed of myself for how much I talk in this episode, but I've got more for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I've got uh, one, no, two more things to go through and then we'll do a couple listener comments where we may do another uh, Patreon exclusive. We'll, we'll see what our time is looking like at the end of this, but uh, here's a Professor Craig segment for you. Uh, let's talk pronunciation uh, and Elvish names and uh, the spelling and all this because it's kind of a cliche in fantasy writing now that if you want to be fancy, if your language is going to be cool, you got to have accents over this and umlauts over that and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to dive into all of that stuff, but a lot of people ask about the E's with the umlauts, right? Yeah. You see a lot of these. What's, what's going on here? Was it just to look cool? Like, I'm sure Tolkien didn't mind the, like, the aesthetic. Like, hey, that looks, that looks pretty neat. I'm sure that didn't hurt. But, uh, no, they did serve a purpose. And if you go to the pronunciation guide in the back, the one in the Silmarillion is actually not as extensive as the one in the Lord of the Rings. So if you have a copy of the Lord of the Rings, you can pull up your pronunciation guide in there, uh, and it's a little better. Uh, but he does talk about the ease. Um, and basically, he did that to signal to you that this is a separate syllable, that that E is actually supposed to be pronounced. And so that's where words like Elwe, it, that's not that confusing, right? It's there's not too many ways to pronounce that. Although you do get in that pronunciation guide, I think in the Lord of the Rings, again, it's a little more specific. It's like this is how that E is pronounced. It's not quite A and it's not E. It's more of a, a, an Italian final E, eh? Mm-hmm. So whatever. That's, I can't really do it that well. But anyway, <clears throat> so it is telling you how to pronounce it, but it's mostly telling you to pronounce it. And so in some words like orome, that's important because if he didn't put the umlaut on there, then we'd just be like, oh, orom, orom, orom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, or the Eldalia, the name for the elves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have I-E at the end, El- Eldali. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, it's a, that's a separate syllable. So yeah, anyway, it does. Dale. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, the reason I bring this up is yeah, there's a specific thing that I see a lot of people commenting on when I uh, see them talking about the Silmarillion. You know, what's up with all the all the extra accents? And some of them are just there to tell you where to place the accent. Some of them lengthen vowels, whatever. Um, but I guess the larger point would be go check out the pron- pronunciation guide. If you, if you don't care, like if your eyes just kind of gloss over things and you don't try to pronounce them, then hey, everybody has their style. But I know a lot of people like to feel like that's part of their immersion is mm-hmm. understanding how to pronounce things. And it's very, it's very well laid out at the, uh, in the appendix to the Lord of the Rings. So please go check it out. I feel like it was pretty intuitive, honestly, not being familiar with Elvish language at all, right. uh, but being familiar with Spanish language and having accents over certain there vowels you yeah it's you know that's where your that's where your emphasis is on that on that vowel sound or whatever so yeah reading it and seeing finway and elway it was like okay that's intuitive to pronounce it that way right so. yeah anybody who's like if if the only language you speak a lick of is english then it might be a little bit weird mm-hmm. to come across these marks but if you speak any languages that use a lot of them you know either above or below letters you speak arabic or hebrew or german or whatever you're gonna get a lot of this stuff so Mm -hmm. it's probably not that weird to a lot of readers but anyway all right guys um 
Kyle, do you remember when we talked about getting started on the Silmarillion Mm -hmm. and I said, I have a segment that you should do every week? Yes. Do you remember what that is? The Silly Marillion. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought of any yet? Because I, I came across one. I have not. And I have failed. I was actually thinking thinking about that as, <laughs> as I was driving over. And I was like, ah, I forgot to look for that specifically because we talked about it last time. But yeah, I think there's you, probably plenty in here. I mean, I did, you know, kudos to me uh, throughout my 10 year old meme a little while ago. <laughs> so I'm going to count that as a silly Marillion moment. So, uh, so yeah, Kyle, king of the dad jokes, etc. <laughs> um I was over at your house and I'm like, hey, are you excited to start the Silmarillion? And you're like, huh, the Silly Marillion? And I was like, that's your segment right there. <laughs> that's it. Um, but I came across one for you right. this week. Uh, so, the sacred hill in the sacred valley within the sacred mountains in the blessed realm of the gods. That hill, do you remember what it's called? Tuna. Tuna. <laughs> <laughs> Tuna. I read these out loud and I had to, it was very difficult for me to go through that and not just immediately stop and have problems. <laughs> like, seriously, Tolkien? Tu- tuna? Tuna. Sacred. Three sacreds and a blessed is this tuna. <laughs> and- <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I think sometimes about uh, uh, tuna on toast, right? Mm-hmm. And so whenever I need to remember the name of the uh, the city of the Vanyar and the Noldor in, in the Blessed Realm, it's uh, Tyrion on tuna. Tyrion on tuna. So, just- Tyrion Lannister living on tuna tuna there you go i always think of uh you can't tune a piano but you can tune a fish or something like that <laughs> there you go i just don't like tuna so we're good <laughs> yeah and now and uh, like to, to this is a little insight into where my brain goes with this crap that i'm like you know tuna is very much consumed now how much did they eat tuna at the time like it's high in omega 3s did, <laughs> did, did tolkien did Tolkien, did it ever occur to him, I'm naming my sacred hill Tuna? Oh, well. <laughs> as long is, as I put just... a couple dots over it, we'll be fine. <laughs> it's Tuna, okay? Wingardium Levi Tuna. Leviosa. <laughs> so, anyway, there's your silly, silly Marillion. Um, I'll look for one for next time. I have failed you as a host, you, Ryan, as a co-host, and you, dear listener, as whatever you are a listener a listener well they probably shut it off by now let's yeah, be honest that's, that's true that's true well for the for the three people that are left uh should we do we'll do Whose a couple phone has fallen into this their cars get, uh, crack in this between. will get exactly. tens of downloads <laughs> so we should do a couple uh listener questions and comments um and uh i we i have quite a few um people really came through this week so i've got quite a few but i, I think we'll just do a couple for this and then uh we'll we'll do, do a couple thing. more for patreon um so yeah like and subscribe go to patreon.com slash legendarium all right so now that that's over let's get one from elliot okay elliot is our 10 year old listener you remember uh, he submitted oh, yeah. a good question his name's elliot time. it was from we, Co- cody uh yeah i know Co- one of the cody's Co- cody, cody? Uh, i can't remember if it's question cody or if, whatever one of the cody's has a son named elliot I know it's a son because he signed it Elliot with a male symbol next to it. I, mm. 10 years old, he signed, I'm showing you guys this. The artist yeah. formerly known as Elliot. <laughs> there you go. So Elliot, I had a couple good questions. Um, 
first of all, again, once again, I'm impressed that a 10 year old is taking on the Silmarillion. Yeah, good for you, Elliot. And good, good luck to you. I hope it goes well. I hope it is going well. So Elliot asks, why is Melkor so evil when his siblings are really nice? That's a actually a decent question. What do you guys think? Melkor's the oldest, isn't he? <laughs> so, so he should be the one who. No, I don't. I don't know if it ever says that he's the oldest. Just that he's the most he's gifted. He's the most gifted and the closest to. Yeah. No. So Manway is the closest oh. to to Iluvatar's thoughts. Ulmo is the most schooled in creation, um, and uh, and Melkor is just generally the most um, uh, talented. Jack of all trades, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes it make this is pure speculation, but it makes sense to me that being the most talented, but still what we talked about last time, still being limited underneath the creation of Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. That you know, he cannot have what Iluvatar can do because he's limited within that box. And it goes back to that question of is free will actually free will? And so mm. he's gonna make Havoc, wreak havoc in the creation until he can be the one to own it all or or be in charge of it all. So. Yeah, that makes sense. It, there's, you're 10, Elliot, and at some point in time in life, they get to this point where you get competent enough at things to discover the incompetencies of others. <laughs> or yourself sometimes, <laughs> or your, honestly. Yeah. And that isn't always necessarily the truth. So it's entirely possible that Melkor sees this and thinks, I could do this and maybe better, whether he actually could or not, and is just frustrated, like Kyle's saying, like frustrated at being limited and not being able to do that. And so the only way for you to, it feels like the only way for you to actually eventually get there is to take over everything, to eventually get to the point where you get to dictate everything, to be the boss. Mm. And that doesn't, sometimes that pans out really well, sometimes that doesn't. And in a lot of cases, it causes you to make choices and go down paths that would be considered corrupt or bad because they would be against the the good Iluvatar. They'd be against against right. the setup. So yeah, yeah. I mean, in the against God's plan. I think in context we have. Yeah, uh, yeah. We can we can say that in context here. So from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. That kind of thing. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think uh, I think Kyle's got got the gist of it there frustration mm-hmm. that he's so awesome but resentment for but yeah but he resentment resents. for Luvatar because in his in melkor's mind Luvatar is holding him back from being the a real jedi a real jedi or just the full the full version of himself if he is if he is as as, as talented or the closest to as talented as Luvatar, why couldn't he be as a, as talented as Luvatar? and mm. it's a Luvatar's fault because Iluvatar is keeping him within within the box. Right. So if that's just it, then I understand gonna, my music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then I'm going to ruin everything. <laughs> I'm going to ruin everything Iluvatar did because why is what he do, does so much better than what I do? This is basically the storyline of Trolls Two. So oh just boy! Go <laughs> did we just bring up Trolls Two? Is that a thing that happened? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. When when you said you don't understand my music, did you guys ever see the South Park episodes where? Uh, um, it's about generational differences in music taste. I'll censor it, but it's uh, the adults all think that the kids' music sounds like crap and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so when they listen to each other's music, they literally just hear fart sounds the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Uh, what a show. What a show. All right. Let's, uh, another question from Elliot. How is Sauron Melkor's deputy if the world was just created? Okay, so another uh, kind of mechanical question. How, how does this work? Uh, but remember that just because it didn't take very many pages for Tolkien to tell us that the world was just created doesn't mean the world was just created. It's been thousands and thousands, maybe millions of years that, that the Earth has been going through its creation process, right? And also, all of these beings, before we get to the elves, everybody before the elves awaken existed and they were conscious and they were acting and thinking before the world was actually created. Mm-hmm. And so, so these, these beings have been around for a long, long, long time, developing their personalities, making their choices. So, This is the first uh, mention of Sauron, right? In um, the similar, in the similar like or did no, we get we, it last we, time? We did get him uh, in the Valaquenta. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm crossing and lines here. Maybe, maybe once or twice after that. And he's a Maiar. Correct. Yes. I, I, yeah, Maya. I think that's the singular. All right, wait, wait, am I getting that backwards? Whatever. I'm embarrassing myself now. All right. Well, uh, so thank you, Elliot. I think, I believe that's our youngest reader that I've heard of. If anybody under the age of 10 is listening to this, please stop because we've already sworn like four times on this show. So, uh, yeah. All right. So let's do a couple more. Um, let's see. Meg, I think, is a first time commenter on uh, Discord. So please go on Discord uh, if you haven't done so yet, if you have questions you want to throw our way or comments. I, I like I like people's observations as well. Those are good. Uh, Meg says, I'm sorry if this is a silly question. It probably is not. But how much of the Silmarillion is myth and how much is legit known history? There's a lot of times where it's mentioned that not much is known about or it is believed that whatever. For example, the elves being turned into orcs is wishy-washy at best. Um so yeah, how much like we're talking in world here? Mm-hmm. How much of what we're reading is fact, and how much of it is mythology? Thirty-seven point seven six percent. Well, there you go. There's your repeating, answer. of course. <laughs> uh, I'm helpful. I know. <laughs> so, um, I think it's it's a great question. It's not a silly question, but it is a tough one. Because there is no, like, there's no answer. There's no definitive answer to this question. But here's my headcanon. A lot of the stuff about the creation of the world, about the elves awakening at Lake Quivien and whatever, that seems to be, the records are lost. Um, You know, so now maybe all they have is oral tradition. And we think this is kind of what happened. But we're going to get into stuff. We've already kind of started getting into stuff that isn't, um, that's not mythological. It's concrete. We're getting into family trees and interactions with gods, interactions uh, that the people who we know about thousands and thousands of years in the future remember these things. So we mentioned Galadriel. Galadriel is this, you know, the queen of Lothlorien and she's giving gifts to hobbits and all this stuff and she's this kind of uh, wonderful mystical figure. She was, she lived in the blessed realm in the first age of Middle-earth. <laughs> like before the first age of Middle-earth, you could say. Anyway, so, uh, so you have things like that or like Elrond can tell you the story of his father Mm-hmm. who we'll get there later, but his father eventually like gets a Silmaril and sails to the blessed 
realm and and gets put in the sky as a bright star right like like that's his dad <laughs> like there so hey dad yeah exactly so <laughs> there are there are things that seem really like oh my gosh that's so allegorical or mythological or whatever but no that that is a concrete thing that happened and they have record of this the beauty know. of immortals you get the first hand account even that much later right so anyway and that's honestly the that story of the the Silmaril being placed in the sky that's probably a bad example cuz Mm-hmm. nobody ever saw him again so they're they're I, guessing at what happened to him but you you get my gist yeah i also, so, I also really like the idea of uh any recorded history is still told by the narrator of that record so like elrond's version of that story might be slightly different from actual fact that has happened but you like you said you get the gist of it so headcanon for me is I don't know that any of it is fact other than like you said, so-and-so begat so-and-so like that's, that's record. Mm-hmm. Everything else is, I like the idea of an in-world uh, mythology and, and oral passing down of history where this is what we know and the stories that we tell, but it, the finer details and the specifics of it don't really matter. Cause I'm thinking to myself like, okay, if you had this same history, but written from Melkor's perspective, uh, mm. all of a sudden, to Elliot's question, Melkor's not the evil one. <laughs> Everybody else is. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think a large chunk of it can be taken as this is an approximation of truth, and there are some core foundational things that are the same. Uh, According to a certain point uh, of view. Yeah. Right, I right? mean, according to you know the writer, the writer of, of the record. So, right. And that's very true to life. Yeah. I, I love it. I think that's a great point. Uh, well, guys, we've been going for just over an hour, I think, at this point. So uh, I think this is probably probably a good place to call it. But uh, let's answer a few more questions over on Patreon. Uh, we got questions from Tumnus, from Diffio, Hurin fan again, Jafu, Ryan's favorite Jafu. Uh, Jafu! And it's a good one. You're going to love it. Uh, Deepolt asks a a bunch of questions, actually. I don't know if we'll get to all of them. But uh, yeah, so so we're going to answer a few more questions over on Patreon. Uh, Just as a reminder, patreon.com slash legendarium. Uh, We don't ask much. Um, Our our Patreon is set up per episode, and you can uh, donate as little as $1 per episode. So it's it's not a huge commitment, um, and you get access to these extras some <laughs> that Ryan and I have done movie watch alongs, including Titanic most yeah. recently. <laughs> uh, so you can, you can watch movies with us. Literally it's crazy fun. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, go, go to Patreon. We'd love to see you there and um, we'll answer a few more questions there. Guys, you uh, ready for more interesting things in the next section? Yes. Ready. Absolutely. Ready. Okay. Cause this, the next section is where, the Silmarillion actually gets its name. It's about the Silmarils. Uh, we're going to get Feanor and the Silmarils, and there's murder and intrigue and betrayal and fire and death and brimstone, and it's like it's all going to go completely crazy here in just a, a little bit. My mind immediately went to like Knives Out, Daniel Craig. There's been a murder. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so yeah, look forward to it and um, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Bye.